and you endured that. Well, I'm doing it all backwards this year. You know, there's three subjects I talk about every year once because I'm just so convinced that this is essential. One is bonding, one is friends, and one is dating. So next week will be the dating attempt to, uh, to talk about that in a Christian perspective. But let's talk about friends tonight. I, I picked a, a couple of friends in the Bible that I use as an example, Timothy and Paul, and they were really close. And that does not mean they didn't argue, and it doesn't mean they were always together, but it does mean they were really tight. And I think uh, one of the things I learned that's funny about people is that everybody wants friends. The shyest person in here, when they're really honest with themselves, want friends. And you would think that you learn how to do that before you get to college, but no. There are many that think friends are just people who worship you or hang out with you. A lot of our guys think that if you play sports together, that makes you a close friend. But that's not enough, guys. There's something more out there. And I, I feel like this is maybe sort of an essential thought, is that God wants you to have good friends. He wants you to. We're made to. Many of us think that if we got that perfect spouse or that perfect boyfriend you know, or, or perfect girlfriend, that we'd be satisfied. But it's not enough. We are not made just for one friend. We're made for social friends. Now, there's all kinds of levels of friends. And so what I'm really talking about is good friends. I hate the word best friends because best implies like there's one I want, let's say good friends, okay, what we're talking about, spiritual good friends. And I feel like I try to befriend lots of people, but I kind of, they sort of filter down to be who's really close, because they have to want to also, but it doesn't necessarily even get uh, spoken sometimes, and then all of a sudden you find yourself a really good friend with somebody, just because you start to talk and open up. So, the, the, again, I'm, I'm preaching from Philippians chapter 2, and verses 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Let's pray. Lord, help us to really understand friendship in a spiritual sense and see why you've got it waiting for us out there. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Timothy, okay, just so you know, Timothy was born of a non, obviously non-Christian parent, but also a Jewish parent. So he was what you would call, kind of call a half and half kind of deal. In, in their culture, that was a real no-no. I mean, it was better than, uh, better than being completely not Jewish. But then as a Christian, none of that really mattered anymore. Now remember, when we're talking about Paul, he was a hardcore Jew. He knew his stuff. And so Timothy had to kind of be pushed into the faith and taught and discipled a lot. But he ends up, this is kind of cool, you don't hear Timothy's name, but he wrote part of the Bible. He was in the Bible. It's better than I did. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know about you guys, but he's pretty famous. But everybody knows the name Paul, but how many realize Timothy was so wonderful? Timothy's name means something like honored by God or, or, or honor to God, one or the other. But I mean, in the, in the Jewish faith, often the name says something about him. So it may not even be his real name. Timotheus is the Greek. But either way, the important part is that he was, by choice and by understanding, not the greatest apostle, but still really important. Sad part on, the, on this story is he does end up being uh, 97, he was martyred. And they believe he was stoned to death in kind of a cool way. He was out there preaching against the pagans at some, some religious ceremony they were having. And so they all decided to bring in their, their idol with them and a club. And they clubbed him to death right there. And it's like kind of gory, but kind of cool too. Way to, way to go, you know. But anyway, um, 
I feel like it's important to think this friendship is kind of weird. Do you guys ever have this problem where you want to have a friend, but then you're not really good at like getting somebody to be your friend? So you hang out for a while, and you think that maybe it'll deepen a little bit, you know, kind of like grow some roots. And, and particularly with the sports thing, you can talk about sports until you're dying, and it still will never get you intimacy with, with someone else. You're going to have to talk about something more meaningful. And this is really uncomfortable. So I wonder to myself, how do so many students get to A&M and still can't make friends? So we have 63,000 students this year, and probably one of the biggest problems on campus is loneliness. Doesn't that blow your mind? You know, I know guys that live in these, you go to these little bitty colleges and they're like, I know everybody's name, but nobody's my friend. Well, we have the opposite. You know, you get here and they don't care if you go to class. Nobody really is going to target you to become your friend unless you show that you want to be a friend. So somewhere, I hope you guys are listening, somewhere you introverts have to go, I want to make a friend and I'm going to force myself to do it. It scares me. I'm nervous. But it's really cowardly never to make a friend. And you will never fill the void in your life of having friends until you're willing to risk yourself a little bit. And this is hard. And believe me, I'm an expert at being used and being, you know, being too close and getting my heart broken. But you know what? When I look back, I go, what if I didn't risk myself and make friends? What kind of pastor would I be if I never really got to know your name? I just preached to you once a week. You know, I never wanted to know about your life or tease you about your parents. You know, it's like, wouldn't it be a weird thing to just sort of draw a line and go, I'm the professional and you're not, you know? And that's what our world wants to do, but that's not what discipleship is, guys. Discipleship is risking yourself as a friend over and over and over. And, you know, some people don't want it. They will just totally uh, mess around with you and, and leave you, you know, be a, a fair-weather friend. You've heard of that expression before. But I think it's really cool that Timothy stuck with it. So I had a really big argument. You all probably know about this argument about what was required of the Jew Gentiles once they became Christians, did you go back and do all the Jewish things to them? Now, this doesn't seem too personal until we start to talk about circumcision, right? That's when we're like, uh-oh, what do you do now? You became a Christian, and Timothy, because he wasn't a Jew, was not circumcised. So this was a big deal. But he, to go be a, a minister, he allowed himself as an adult, or at least a young adult, to be circumcised, which in those days I'm sure was risky health-wise too, but this is very personal for you guys, right? You'd understand this is not something you'd take lightly. And it's like, but he went ahead and trusted Paul in that decision, and then went and spent the rest of his ministry in fellowship with Paul, writing to Paul, going back and forth, and ended up being called my beloved son, my yoke fellow in, in, in serving the, the Lord, all kinds of beautiful things. Now, how many guys really are going to be real expressive here and say, you know, I really love you and you're the best, you're my son in the Lord. There aren't too many guys that can do that. So I think you have to really appreciate that this is really special. This relationship was not common, I guess. It was better than common the way you look at it. But he was, and then this is one of the things that a lot of people argue with me too. It's like, well, how do you know who could be your friend? For, for one mistake I've seen is people will go to the most popular person at Wesley and decide, I want to be friends with this person. Well, that person has a lot of friends. You'd actually do a lot better to pick some people that aren't so uh, into their friends so that you can find someone who's available. You know, when someone knows, there are extroverts, I know this blows your mind if you're an introvert, but there are some people who want to know everybody's name and they want this much depth in the relationship. They just want to be known by everybody and popular. That's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm talking about is finding four or five good friends before you get out of college that will be life friends. Not romantic partners necessarily, just friends. And there, it's a beautiful thing when all of a sudden you start to achieve that. You realize, wow, this is something I've always wanted. 
with someone to really care about me and I can really care about them. And that even you, you guys would be surprised how great it is to have another guy tell you his problems a little and share with you, helping you through yours. We don't have to be so macho and so strong that nobody really knows what's going on inside of us. What I found when I did that was loneliness and isolation. Yeah, it was me and God. Now, ultimately, there is a Bible verse that says there's one that's closer than a brother, and that's Jesus, right? There's one friend absolutely will never fail you, right? And that's Jesus. But to be friends, we have to risk them failing us with all these other people. They won't, a good friend won't fail you much, but what good friend you don't fight with, right? It's like sooner or later you're going to struggle, you're going to get really mad, you may even want to strangle them because once they get close to you, you're like, that's when they can really hurt you. They can point out exactly your hypocrisy or your stupidity or your stubbornness or your rebellion and just put their finger on it and you're like, leave me alone. And then a few days later, you kind of calm down. But I think that's a, a beautiful thing. So friend Timothy was willing to be second. This is an important thing to note. To be a friend, you have to be willing to be not the most important person in the relationship. And this is where Americans stumble because we all think we're the most important person. Well, to be a Timothy, that means you're going to know that Paul is the greater and I'm going to accept whatever role I have. And so this is, in years ago in marriage counseling, they used to tell us, this is way back, they used to say marriage is a 50-50 proposition. If both of the couple give 50%, you know, then together they, they, get, they get along. And it's sort of a lie, to be honest with you guys, because you think that the problem is your feelings, right? Maybe even if Liz did 50% of everything and was doing her share, I wouldn't feel like she was. You know, it's what I learned is I feel like I give 80% and she's only given 20. You know, and Liz feels like she's giving 80 and I'm giving 20. Right, Sharon? I mean, it's like you always feel like you're giving the most, you know, because we're egocentric people. We're people who think, you know, we're trying the hardest. So you got to brace yourself when you're a friend to feel like sometimes you're putting all the energy into the friendship. Did you all ever had that experience? You didn't feel like the other person's reciprocating with the effort. Guys, I'm just telling you that in reality, it's about serving one another, right? About loving one another. And you're going to have to force yourself to be second sometimes and think about what the friend wants to do for dinner or what the friend would rather do for fellowship. You know what I mean? You just give up a little bit of who you are to let them, at least some of the time, have, have what they think is the most important thing. It's a really interesting quote for y'all that have ever seen that wonderful Christmas movie, right? Uh, help me, dear. What's the name of my favorite Christian movie? It's a Wonderful Life, right? Thank you. And there's a, there's a quote in there from Mark Twain, and it says, it says, no man is a failure who has friends. And I've pondered that. If you remember the movie, the whole town really loves this man, but he doesn't know it. He doesn't realize that everybody loves him. He's thinking he's all on his own. He's carrying the weight of the whole world. And then at the end, he realizes he has all these friends. So he was not a failure in life. I think there's some wisdom in this. I really do. If you have friends, you are making disciples. If you have close friends, you've successfully loved someone else. You know, and it's like, I feel like that's, there's some truth to this, really. If you have people that will actually be sad that you're gone, that's a pretty good sign that you've made friends. So some of us are expecting maybe lots of thanks and lots of praise and lots of recognition. Timothy basically was like, I'm going to be a faithful follower of Christ, and I'm going to be number two, and it's okay and I'm going to do what God's called me to do in life. And it's like he let go of being the number one. Almost every preacher I know wants to be number one. We're really bad about it because we want to be the best preacher in the biggest church. We want to be bishop someday. We want to do this. It's all godly, you know, supposedly. But the truth is, you know, we're really about ourselves just like you are. So being a friend, what I learned is a friend 
gets up and helps your friend when you don't want to. You know what I mean? When you're busy yourself with homework and the friend really needs help, you ta- stop what you're, you think is most important to do it. So how do you make friends in college? You cannot make friends by making college your first priority and if you have any friends, good. That's not the way, guys. Somewhere you have to prioritize friendship and go, look, I've got four or five years here and seven or eight years for Ben. You know, it's like, I, I got to make, you know, I got to make some serious friends. You don't wait until your extra time to make friends. You make a commitment to, I'm going to spend a certain amount of time with my friends each week. It's good for you, but it also is building something that lasts way longer than that stupid class. You won't even remember what you got the grade in. You know what I mean? But then that friend could be a lifelong friend. Now, I'm not saying play all the time and don't do study, and I'm not saying that at all, but I really feel like one of the advice I would give you introverts especially is make a plan to spend time being social. This also helps in the dating zone also. If you don't go where people are, you're never going to meet anybody. Guys, <laughs> never, ever. You have to go and hang out with people to learn to love them. And truthfully, friends irritate you. Like I said, when somebody's close to you, they have all the skills of hurting you the most. And yet God still wants us to give our hearts to our friends, right? And be servants to them. I think that's what he mentioned. Timothy had an incredible brother, uh, brotherly spirit. He didn't challenge and compete with Paul. He wasn't trying to set up his own church in another way. He was trying to continue the ministry. One of the thing, beautiful things about being a Christian is we can serve God together. You want to make some friends? Go on our work project in January. Work side by side with sweaty people. January, December, sorry, in December. You know, and work side by side sweaty. Don't put on your makeup. Don't shower as much as you probably should. And you'll know some people as they really are. Right? You'll see cranky, you'll see undisciplined, you'll see, you'll see impatient. You know what? But then you see the real person. Part of our problem in church is you can put on your pretty makeup and your pretty clothes and your clean self and go to church for an hour and barely talk to anybody and you look all saintly, but they don't know you. You know, they really don't know you. I always think, we used to go backpacking every year. One of my favorite things was seeing everybody really dirty. You know what I mean? It's like I, I'm unshaven. When's the last time you saw Max unshaven? You know, it just doesn't happen. And so, you know, you go a week without shaving, and I'm all gnarly and gray and red and brown and sinful looking. And then, you know, it's like I got, I got dirty, greasy hair, stringy, and it's like, smell bad. We all smell bad, by the way. And we don't even know we smell bad until we get back to the showers and we're like, who stinks in here? And it's us, you know? It's like, but anyway, if you ever camp for real long, you know what I mean. You smell like a cigarette or something after walking around for a while. But it's great because people put down their facades of perfectness and, you know, um, know it all in this and all kind of falls down and you're just real people with people. So I know this is scary to some of you to think, but at some point you have to share you to make friends. There's no other way that's going to happen. If you don't get in a small group with people and be able to share what your struggles with your parents are, what your struggles are with your mean pastor, whatever it is that's going on in your life, more than grades, you're never going to have friends because that's what friends want to hear too. They want to see that you're vulnerable so then they'll be vulnerable. We laugh in care group. Most of you have been to care group before, but the goal of care group is to move from intellectual discussions down to actual sharing with people who you are. And so what ends up happening a lot of times is that group bonds with each other because they actually know things about each other and care about each other's family and issues and stuff. So I think that's a beautiful thing. I wish all of you would experience that. I really do. Small group Bible studies is a perfect place to start to meet people. I would even take it a step further and say dating would probably be wise to start out of your friend pool instead of random people. It ought to be someone you know. 
you know, and someone that you've liked, at least as a friend, before that. I know with Liz and I, Liz and I made a pact when we first started dating that we were tired of just dating. We're just going to be friends for a while. And we did that. No romance, no love notes, no holding hands, just friends. And it really worked well because I could get to know her as a person and skip the whole romantic game of, you know, trying to be, have her fall in love with me or whatever. And then, anyway, she ended up trapping me. But I think, um, anyway, back to... It worked, it worked, yeah. <laughs> Back to his, his brotherly spirit, right? I feel like he decided at some point that he wasn't just going to be the popular person, that he was going to be a servant, right? And I think that's really important. It's cool to have a posse or your buds or your bros or your, your little, little cliques. Now I'm going to slam this pretty hard, but I think one of the enemies of what we're talking about is how we get a group and then we decide we're a clique and we're the only cool people and we don't invite anybody else to our little get-togethers and we don't, you know, we, we kind of separate because we have our five friends or our ten friends guys. Do you see what you're doing is you're killing yourself in friendship that way. I feel like friendship's more like open it to everyone who wants to be your friend and let it kind of progress for the people who want to be your close friends. They may not be the people you think they're going to be at all, and then they turn out being your best friends, but how do you know in the beginning? If you close off, you, you upperclassmen, if you close off to the freshmen because you're leaving in a year, you're making a mistake because you're really only four years older than they are, and you're plenty likely to make great friends if you put yourself out there. If you wait for only your class, you're missing something here, guys. All these other people, you don't have to be the same class to be close friends. That's ridiculous, right? In the, in the real world, I would encourage you to have old people friends, younger friends. It's really a neat thing to have friends of other generations. One of my blessed experiences in life was having a lot of great-grandpas, and great grandmas, and so I had a lot of old people in my family, but they're great to make friends with because there's such a different world, you know? Go talk to your great grandma sometime about what her dating life was like or whatever. It's, a, it's just a great experience. I feel like a lot of people in our culture are scared of talking to old people about that stuff. But it takes emotional sharing, right? This is another thought. They say that friends are family that you choose. You cannot choose your family, guys. And it's a lot of the family stuff, in God's perfect world, our family could be the good friends for us all the time. But don't you all know you need more than that, don't you? Family, at times, is just not enough. You know, and you've got to keep going. What I learned here at Wesley is I have to keep making friends because friends move away. Friends, you know, get married. You know, they do all these different things. So you have to be willing to make friends your whole life, everywhere you go. And God will provide you with some people to hold you up. I think this is the important thing. Is like, yeah, you serve them and, and you give and you give and give, but then when you really need them, they can hold you up, right? The, the best illustration Dr. Joy uses, and I love this illustration, is a trampoline. Picture a trampoline, right? And you got a trampoline with no legs, right? And everybody you know who really is committed to you is holding your trampoline. Your mama's on one end, your dad's on the other, maybe grandma and grandpa holding it. How long do you think they can hold your trampoline when you're bouncing up and down in life? It's like you need maybe a dozen people who really love you and are committed to you to hold that trampoline. So think of it this way. When you're finding your friends, you're finding people that are all holding you emotionally for the ups and downs of life, the, the tragedies that can happen, but also the joys. And it's like, wouldn't you really want more than two people on this? What about if you think your whole life's going to be about your romantic partner and who you marry? There's the two of you holding that trampoline. Never is going to work. Liz needs her girlfriends. I need my guy friends. We need all of We need the family to hold those to keep us steady in life, to be the disciples we were meant to be. I really think it's wise, guys. Think about who's holding your trampoline. Who would be there for you if you really needed help tomorrow? Who, would, who could you call? And it's like, it's very sobering to think how many friends are really that good of friends. When 
The extroverts, like Miss Christie, remember, Christie's everybody's friend, but how many, how often does she feel close to any of them? You know, it's like it's lots of numbers, but that's not really the solution, is it? It's about people knowing you and loving you. Timothy then was ordained by Paul. They figured at some point, laid hands on him. He became and proved that he was a faithful disciple of Christ. So another thing, can you make intimate, close, lifelong friends with someone who's not a Christian? That's a really hard answer. I don't know, but I know it's going to be a lot harder. Could you, you know, wouldn't it be better to have somebody you could serve side by side, the same master, you know, run, go, move towards the same priorities in life? One of the best things about Liz is Liz is always going with me to ministry. There's never been, I want to go be rich, Max, or, you know, I want to go and do this over here. You know, it was always like, we're going into ministry. It really was, wasn't it? Always. We never debated it. That's where our target was. And so we're going the same path. Believe me, that's a challenge in careers. It really is. Sometimes one wants to move to the city and one wants to move the country. It's like, this and I have been on task. And I feel like Timothy and Paul, both things were focused to, this is the direction we're going I don't really know if Timothy was married. It never really said that. We don't think Paul was, or if he was, he wasn't, didn't have any children for sure. But I feel like you give up your life a little bit to follow Christ, and then you get so much more back. One of the things that was talking about friendship that is so sweet, do you ever have a day where you just need to go gripe or just let off some, I'm frustrated about it? A friend is the person you can go to and let it all out, and they'll, they won't get upset. They'll just calmly kind of go, you're wrong about this, you're wrong about that, you're right about this, you know, it's like, I agree with you, you know, hold your hand maybe, it's like, that is so sweet, and I'm going to pick on Ben here, sometimes Ben and I can just sit down and talk about crazy things in life, you know, and it's like, it's good for me to be able to hear, to whine a little bit, you know, who else can I whine to, you know, or who else can I say my frustrations to, and it's like, I think we all need somebody that will sit there and listen and not get upset with us because we have a negative thought or we're discouraged or, or whatever it is. Spiritual friends are not fake friends, not people who talk religion to you. That's not what I want at all. I can think, think through all the Bible verses. I need somebody to listen to me, right, and point out my stupidity. One of my best things about having a mentor was he could actually just slay me by pointing out how stupid I'm being or how stubborn I'm being. And it's like, I could keep arguing, but it was pointless. And I knew it once he did that. So, friend Timothy risked himself to be a brother, friend, and son. He didn't get to be the son, beloved son of Paul, just by always going along with him. I think he really had to sacrifice a little bit and give, right? And have an attitude that, you know, I'm sure Paul was disappointed. They say Paul was really mad at him for a while about the about the Jewish rules and all that stuff and railed on him for a while. But they didn't, just because they had a fight, didn't mean it was over. All of these have parallels in your Christian life. You will fight with your friends. You remember when you were a little kid and you had your best friend or your best play guys uh, that came over to the house, man, and then one day they hit you in the head with a block and you hit them back, you know, and it's like, <laughs> this is little kid playing, I promise. You know, we had a sandbox, you know, I don't know if you guys ever had sandboxes. We had a sandbox and because there were four boys, we divided in fours and then we had our, each army was on a different one, all our army men. And so we'd have wars and we'd play sort of fair until my older brother, who was always a brat, would just pick up a rock and throw it at my army, you know, or like you know, get really mad. He'd stomp all over my soldiers in the sand. That was really infuriating, guys, let me tell you. But I almost killed him, but I didn't. But anyway, no, my point is, guys, friends fight. Friends squabble. They struggle. But you know what? It is great training for marriage. It's great training for life. Do you think that everybody just has harmony all the time in their friendship, you're not real friends if you have harmony all the time. I promise. I think one of the curses, they say, of our culture is that we're so self-seeking 
that we have a really hard time putting someone beside before ourselves and their needs. When you have a friend, you're willing to like, if they're barfing all night, you're willing to go to CVS and get them some Pepto, right? They're the person, the car's broken down on the side of the road and they'll come get you no matter where you are. You know what I mean? That's the kind of how you know. And the only way you're going to get that going is by doing it yourself. And probably 80% of the time, you'll be the one doing, but then when you really need, someone's going to be there for you, for sure. I think, I think being a great friend, this is also wisdom from a youth minister, be a good friend to get good friends. You all hear me? It's like, if you think you're just going to sit there and let somebody's going to come up and make good friends with you, but you're not going to have to put some effort in, you're really wrong. When you're a good friend to people, they will be a good friend back in general. See, the, the wisdom in that is really pretty obvious. How do you do it? You make time for friendship. You be affectionate and tell people that you really appreciate them. You really like them. You know, show your, your com- commitment to each other. I mean, guys, I've heard the guys just go, you know, you're, you're my good friend. I, I, I boldly would even say I love you, you know, but be careful for sure that you, you're communicating the same thing. Girls, same thing. You've got to have some commitment, right? Some kind of verbalization of what you're feeling or people will just kind of like hang out together and never really deepen the relationship. Think about it and pray about it just as I end here. Don't you really want good friends? Let's be honest with ourselves. What do you really want? I mean, we want lovers and romantic partners, but all through your life, you're going to want to have good friends. So it's something worth taking time to learn. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, uh, we, we thank you that you created us for fellowship with you and with others, Lord. Help us to really learn how to love and to sacrifice and be the friend we're meant to be. And we pray, Lord, that you would provide us with those people who share in our faith, who can also walk with us and be those friends. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.